You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki, and hopefully you guys had a great little Christmas break and enjoying the holiday season as well over the last few days. But kind of kind of crazy, kind of bittersweet here. This is going to be our last show of 2020. That's right. So we'll have some fun here. We'll try and end this god-awful year on a little bit of a high note as much as we can. And let's just look forward to 2021. Hopefully good things coming up here on the horizon. Uh, So we're going to be off on Friday, which is why this is the last show of 2020. Friday is New Year's Day. So I thought in honor of that, I'm going to outline some New Year's resolutions for members of the Winnipeg Jets organization. We'll have some fun and we'll get to that in a little bit. I also want to take a look at, at maybe my favorite project The Athletic does every year. That's their team previews by Dom LeCision, and today's actually that came out was the Winnipeg Jets. So we're going to dive into that and and see, I guess, how my rankings, how some of your rankings stacked up with the models, the analytics that uh, Dom LeCision has. So that'll be intriguing to see where he has the Jets maybe most likely to finish inside that Canadian division. And then finally, to close out today's episode, have you guys ever wondered what it might be like to be a world champion in pizza? I think about it constantly. I think about it constantly. But we actually talked with the current title holder of best pizza maker in Canada. That's Thomas Schneider. And he's actually from Winnipeg. And he's here in Winnipeg for the time being. We So we definitely went into what pizza competitions are all about. How he was crowned best pizza maker in Canada. And we also took a look and, and broke down all his great pies at his place, Tommy's Pizza. That's right here in Winnipeg. It's a great interview. I can't wait to get to that. I'm also curious about this. And you guys can let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Wiki. But if you had to make one pizza that would be world champion worthy, what toppings are you going with on your, I guess, your dream pizza? I think, and, and <laughs> I kind of get into this with Tommy. My My controversial pizza take is that Tomato sauce is not the best base for a pizza. I, I, I don't mind it. Like, it's okay, but I, I prefer, I mean, you can get so creative with it. Why limit yourself to just tomato sauce? Uh, so for my champion pizza, so my champion pizza, I'm going to definitely have to go with white sauce as the base. I know it's, it's kind of, it's kind of take worthy, but I'm, if I have to pick, I would rather have a white pizza than one with tomato sauce on the bottom. 
Uh, to me, you need spice and salt on a good za. So I'm going to go with pickled jalapenos. So you get a bit of a kick, but it's not too overwhelming. And then on the salty side, maybe like either raw sausage or bacon, something like that. The raw sausage is, is elite because you can put it on the pizza. And then when you cook it, like all the, the fat and the goodness just melts everywhere. And then I'm going to go, I'm a huge onion guy. So I'm going to go a mix of like raw and caramelized. So you get a little bit of sweet in there as well. So that, yeah, that's my go-to pizza, white sauce, jalapeno, raw sausage, raw and caramelized onion. But let me know what yours is. I would love to, I mean, hey, any pizza ideas are good pizza ideas. So let me know. Again, hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki. I'd love to know what your championship worthy pizza would be. Now, before we get to our Winnipeg Jets resolutions, I did stumble upon this when I came in to record today. Kevin Chevaldeoff joined TSN Radio during the intermission of Canada's win over Slovakia at the World Juniors. And I'll just play a couple of clips here for you guys because I know a lot of people are excited that, you know, maybe the top two prospects in the organization are playing at the World Juniors right now. So first, Chevy was asked about Cole Perfetti, who has three assists in his first two games for Canada. And he was asked about Perfetti's potential pro timeline. Could he be NHL ready as soon as this season? Well, it's a, it's a real interesting time frame. There's no question. Usually uh, under normal circumstances, we'd have had him at development camp. We'd had an opportunity to uh, to evaluate at least him firsthand. Um, you know, the, 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 the way the situation's working out here right now, um, he, you know, right from uh, the World Juniors, he'll come into whatever's left in our camp and, and uh, you know, try to be a part of uh, all the different situations. And our coaches will have to evaluate him under different circumstances. But that's the way it is for all these guys. But he certainly has shown, you know, the skill level and the, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, the smarts and, uh, and, again, the work he's put in in the offseason. You know, you can see it. Although we're not there in person and, and being able to watch the game, uh, talking to my scouts, uh, and, and listening to talk about how, uh, you know, his stride is stronger, his, uh, you know, just the, the all aspects of his game, of, of just the maturity from that 17-year-old kid to the 18-year-old player um, is just going to continue to grow. And, of course, Chevy doesn't answer anything there, right? No, no answer. No, no, I think he is ready. He might be on our third line to start the year, or uh, we're going to take a wait-and-see approach here. But, I mean, all in all, you could tell they're very excited to have him in the organization. I still maintain he's going to get the, I guess it's seven games now, whatever the minimum is, the Jets are going to see what he's like at the NHL level. And he might be a taxi squad guy the whole season just because, you know, there might not be OHL hockey. There might not even be AHL hockey. So don't be shocked if Cole Perfetti is up in Winnipeg all season long, whether or not he plays with the team is a different matter. Now, Chevy was also asked the same question. But about defenseman, everyone's favorite Finn, everyone's favorite young Finn, I should say, Vili Hainala. So he surprised us last year. You know, he came into camp, and then obviously we had our trials and tribulations with uh, with our defense, with Dustin Bufflin, uh, you know, leaving camp uh, before it even started, and and uh, you know, just the the situation there. But Billy came in and and really earned his opportunities in training camp. And then again, another real smart player, a player that makes great passes, uh, has a great transition game. Um, you know, and again, just needed to learn how to get stronger. And you know, I don't say learn's not even a right term. Just needed to get stronger and and physically mature. Sure. And, and he's had a little bit of a different path. He's had the ability to, to be over in Finland where their pro, uh, pro leagues are playing. And uh, he's had a good first half of, of the season.
season uh, playing in the Finnish uh, Liga. And, uh, and you can tell. And, and again, he's playing with lots of confidence. And he's someone, I think, that's going to come into camp here and uh, when the World Juniors are done and, and just take that next step. But we're excited, whether it's this year or next year. Um, you know, we've got, uh, you know, Hainola, we've got Sandberg, we've got Stanley. We've got, you know, a lot of good young prospects that are, are chomping at the bit to, uh, to get in there on defense. And, and adding Cole Perfetti to our stable uh, in this year's draft um, is just uh, real exciting as well. So there's just a bit of an understanding of where the Jets GM sees his two two of his brightest prospects right now. But all in all, interesting to see what Kevin Chevaldeoff thinks right now about Cole Perfetti and Vili Hainala in particular. So I mentioned it earlier in the show, and we're going to get to it here. Some resolutions in the new year in 2021 for members of the Winnipeg Jets. So we'll have a little bit of fun, some lightheartedness here. And I guess just how the Jets could improve. Well, you know what? Let's do this. I actually Googled the definition for a New Year's resolution so we can get an understanding of what exactly it is that we're looking for here. Uh, So Google defines a New Year's resolution as in which a person resolves to continue good practices, change an undesired trait or behavior, or to accomplish a personal goal, otherwise in improving their life. So that's what we're going to do with this. We're going to split these resolutions up into three categories. One, continuing good practices, some positivity. Two is like the classic resolution. You got to change something in your life or in your game for the Jets case. And then number three, accomplishing a personal goal. We're going to have three different contenders in each category And we're going to dive into what they can do in this new year's to make sure that they hit on their resolutions. All right. So let's start off with a positive continuing good practices. As Google says, one of the resolutions is, so we'll start off with a little bit of positivity here. I'm going to go with Kevin Shevel day off specifically with Chevy. Keep holding strong when it comes to trade offers on your young stars. That is the practice I think everyone wants to see Kevin Cheveldayoff continue with so far. And this goes back to even last year, for example. Nikolai Ehlers, his name is in the rumor mill. Could he be on the move to bring in a defenseman, a second-line center? There's no doubt that the interest was all over the place for Nick Ehlers, but Kevin Cheveldayoff didn't budge. He didn't get the offer that he wanted, so he held on to Nick Ehlers. Jacob Truba, I mean, you could say, did he hold on for the... Did he hold on for a home run offer? No, he didn't do that, but he leveraged as much as he could. And oddly enough, a trade that everyone thought the Jets lost at the time. I don't know if there is a Jets fan out there that would want to redo on the Jacob Truba trade for Neil Pionk and ultimately Billy Hanela. And and we're seeing this, you know, maybe more importantly out of all those continue with Patrick line right now. Liney's name continues to be in the trade market. There's a bunch of teams still interested, but even going through the offseason, Kevin Sheveldayoff never budged on what he wanted. And that was basically a King's ransom for arguably their greatest asset. And he didn't make that move when a lot of people thought, you know what? Now's the time. If you're going to trade him, this is when his value is at the highest, but Chevy didn't get the package that he wanted. And right now, Patrick Liney is still a member of the Winnipeg Jets. And from what I've heard about some of the demands for Patrick Liney when it came to a trade from a different team, it's big. Like, really, like, kind of aggressively big. <laughs> like, I, I've heard number one defenseman, not just, hey, we want a good young defenseman, 
Kevin Sheveldayoff has been asking for a number one defenseman and then a little bit thrown on top of it for Patrick Laine right now. And that might be the main reason why he's still here in Winnipeg. But that's a good thing, right? Like, is it is it reasonable? Yeah, maybe not overly. But at the same time, if you're going to move a guy like Patrick Laine, try and see if a team will completely overpay. Try and get that, you know, number one massive asset. And if a team isn't willing to pay, then just kick it down the road. It's a very similar approach to what we saw with Joe Sackick, actually, and Matt Duchesne, where people were railing on Sackick. Why aren't you moving this guy? Sackick's not a GM. He's not good enough. I mean, look at the trade he made, and now look at where the Avs are at right now. So I think that's Kevin Shovel layoff. Just keep holding strong when it comes to trade offers for anybody on your team, but specifically your young stars. Number two in the good practice category, I'm going to go with Neil Pionk, a guy that had a lot of question marks coming in, but Neil Pionk's good practice that he should continue is continue playing at a second pairing rate. And that's what he did last season. He was one of the better second pairing guys in the NHL. He really was. Now, number three on good practices, I'm going to go with this guy who I have in my reasoning here. I want this player to be the team's best forward for another season. If you had to guess, who would that be? Who should be the team's best forward for another season? For me, it's Nick Ehlers. I think he's this team's best forward. I mean, if you look at it just strictly from a from a usage slash efficiency rate, there's nobody that's all that close to him right now on the team. I mean, Nick Ehlers scores at a real, real high level, an elite level with the amount of minutes that he's given combined with the fact that he doesn't get first power play minutes as the other top four guys do on this team. So I, I just love everything about Nick Ehlers and I would love to see him get bumped up to an 18, 19, 20 minutes a game and just see what he does. Let him loose. I don't want to say free Nick Ehlers. He's not being jailed or anything like that, but I would just like to see more responsibility added to Nick Ehlers. I think he can clearly handle it, and I think it would help the Jets out a lot this season. So from the good practices to uh, a little bit of the bad, we're going into the classics now. Something that needs to be changed in 2021 for the Winnipeg Jets. I have three, well, technically four people here, but one of them is kind of like a, a duo thing. Okay. I'll get to the, let's go to the duo first because it's pretty obvious. I'm not going to dive into it too much. We all know it, but I think it has to be mentioned again, a new year's resolution for Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor. Everybody take a drink, the defensive play. It's just got to get better. It's just got to get better. Whether it's effort, focus, attention to detail, a combination of all three. We all know that those two they're just so good offensively that even average play in their own end would be a massive, massive boost to this team. Number two, Connor Hellebuck. You know, you might say, why would the reigning Vezda trophy winner need to change something in his game? Well, it's just something really simple and really, really minor. I'm just going to go with straight up Connor Hellebuck avoid playing the puck. That's the only issue that's in his game right now, isn't it? It's this simple for Hilly this season. Stop the puck behind the net. If your first read is there, pass it. If not, rip it around the glass or leave it for your D-man. Like, that's it. Just the the basics, the simplicity. Just, just nothing, no real thought needed in what to do when you have the puck outside of your net for Connor Hellebuck this season. I think he'll be just fine. Now, the third classic resolution for the Winnipeg Jets, what should be changed, I'm going to call out Paul Maurice for this one. 
Now, a lot, hey, a lot of people might say there's a lot of things that need to be changed. I'm going to keep it to just one, though. And it came, well, it came down to two for me. Either the special teams or the defensive structure of this team. Now, I think Paul Marie, I mean, look, every team works on defensive structure. It's, so I'm, I'm not going to go into that one, even though it's, it's mandatory and something that needs to be improved on. But I'm actually going to go with a special teams 180 for Paul Maurice and his New Year's resolution in 2021. Now, we know the penalty kill hasn't been good. It's been good one year, real, like really, really good one year under Paul Maurice. It's regressed so heavily since then, and it wasn't great again last year, again, despite having the Vesna winning goaltender in your net. And what I would just love to see, and there's enough good penalty killers on this team that they can find a way, I think, to at least be average, maybe even above average. By the way, the Jets finished 22nd in the NHL last season. What I would like to see change with the Winnipeg Jets is simply on the PK, just be more aggressive. They're just so passive all the time. And I'm I'm just not a believer that even if you're allowing your goaltender to see the shot, that with the skill level of players these days, if that's your plan, yeah, Hellebuck's probably going to make the first save, but the second, the third, like eventually that puck's going to find its way in. I would just like to see them be way more aggressive. Pressure the puck handlers. There's no reason they can't get to even just 80%, 80%. Gets you up into just average, up into the top half of the NHL. And that's where I think the Jets could be. So just up the aggressiveness on the PK. Now, the other part that was really surprising when it came to the special teams last year for the Jets, they were just average on the power play. What I would love to see is a couple of things. One, Patrick Liney, now whether he was told this or whether this was kind of a personal decision on his own, Patrick Liney needs to get way closer to the net. People have their theories as to why that happened. Look, everyone says, hey, the book's been figured out on Liney. People haven't figured out where Alex Ovechkin is on the power play. He hasn't moved in over a decade, and he's still leading the league in power play goals. There needs to be a concerted effort to make sure Liney is way, way closer to the net, and it's going to open up so many other options for this power play. The one thing that I am intrigued with potential personnel change. I wonder if Paul Stasny replaces Cal Connor where Connor is kind of below the goal line there in between Wheeler and Shifley. I wonder if Stasny takes over for Cal Connor, because remember that's what happened when Stasny was acquired a couple seasons ago and he was doing that in the jets playoff run. Their power play was outstanding it's an interesting wrinkle, right? Because Paul Stasny gives you more of a passer in that spot. And I kind of, I kind of dig it. I, and then you would have Connor and Ehlers on the second power play. I don't know if there's another team on the planet that would have a second power play unit with a Connor and an Ehlers on it. But I kind of like the aspect of moving the puck down to Stasny. And then he's got two passing options, either Shifley in the slot for the one timer lining on the far side for the one timer, something to keep in mind. If the Jets want to get back into at least the top 10, but there's no reason with who they have on their roster that they shouldn't be into the top five of the NHL on the power play. Now, our final category of New Year's resolutions, accomplishing a personal goal. Number one, we're going to have to go with Patrick Liney. And what I want Patrick Liney, and look, what everyone in Winnipeg wants Patrick Liney to reach this season, I want him to reach the 30-goal mark yet again. Now, you might say, that's not overly impressive, but remember, 56 games this season, 30 goals in 56 games would be just a shade under a 50-goal pace 
during an 82 game regular season, 34 goals would be a 50 game pace. I'm not going to go that lofty. I'm just going to say reach 30 again. And I think he can. I mean, his five on five goal rate last season was the best of his career. It was actually his, his lack of goals on the man advantage that kept him from possibly reaching 40, possibly passing Kyle Connor for the team leading goals. But if Patrick Liney can, again, take that step back to where he was in year two, I, I mean, it's going to help the Jets first and foremost this season, no doubt about that. But if you're in the it's time for Patrick Liney to move on camp, or if you just think a trade is inevitable, the Jets need that trade value to get a little bit higher and higher here. And for Patrick Liney to reach 30 goals this season, and if he does it on the team's second line, you could make the case if he does that alone, this team might make the playoffs in that North Division. Number two in accomplishing a personal goal, I'm going to go with Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello since they are this team's top pairing. So we'll put them both together here. I want to see the Jets' top pairing break even in expected goals. That's it. Not, nothing outstanding. Nothing, you know, reaching the level of a Victor Hedman or what we see in Nashville or a Hamilton Slavin sort of a deal. But just break even. Look, whether or not you are an analytic person, you like the fancy stats, it really is simple. It's a simple concept. What I'm asking for here is that when Morrissey and DeMello are on the ice, the Jets just straight up break even when they go up against the best of the opposition. But if the top pair can break even, if Neil Pion can be solid on the second pair with either forward or a youngster, and then if the third pair is solid, solid's good enough with a great forward core and the Vesna winner in net to get into the playoffs. But I think it all starts with that top pair. They're going to be tasked with the most minutes and the most responsibility. Morrissey and DeMello didn't reach 50% during the regular season together, small sample, but then they were real strong in the playoffs. So I just kind of split the difference there. If Morrissey and DeMello can pull that off, that will put the Jets in a really nice spot. Now the final personal goal resolution for the Jets this season it's just quite simply anyone in the bottom six, any forward this team has to reach 28 points during the shortened season. Why 28 points? That would be half a point a game. That would be 41 points, 40, like break the 40 point mark during an 82 game season. That's what we're asking here. 28 points would do that. Jack Roslovic last year had 29 points in 70 games and Andrew Kopp had 28 points so they wouldn't have cracked 40, probably like 35-ish. But man, oh man, do the Jets need a decent amount of secondary scoring when it comes outside of that top six. I don't care who it is. If Roslovic's here and he's the one to do it great, Andrew Kopp, I think, maybe could take that next step. But if anybody in the bottom six could get to that point, then I think the Jets' forward core really rounds out nicely and who knows, maybe they get back to their lofty goals that they were a couple of seasons ago. So that's it. That's how the Jets can reach all their resolutions in 2021. Now, without further ado, to close out 2020, what better way to do that than with some Zaw? Very pleased now to be joined by the owner-operator of Tommy's Pizzeria here in Winnipeg, Thomas Schneider. Tommy, how's it going today? Great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, pretty I mean, I'm super jacked to talk pizza, so uh if I'm a little too excited here, just let me know and I'll try to dial it back a little bit. But look, I hate to start off this way, but the people have a right to know the answers to to hard questions, so I'm just going to get right into it with a pizza expert, okay? Okay. Pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? 
So the scientific reason why I don't think pineapple should go on pizza is that it pineapple's very wet, so it'll make the dough wet and it'll oh. make it not rise the way it's supposed to. But for taste, yeah, there's no problem having pineapple on pizza and people can put whatever they want on pizza. Now, I never thought of it that way because I think most people are, oh, it's too sweet, this and that. But that that's a really interesting one. But if you, say, grilled it and got all the moisture out of it, you're not opposed to potentially pineapple on pizza. No, I'm not opposed to it. It could actually taste pretty good. All right. That's a beautiful start then. I like where this is going. <laughs> Before we get to Tommy's, I want to just go back into your history. I believe you started working officially in the pizza biz at 15 years old. But when did you first know that, you know, a pizziola was the one and only job for you? <laughs> Well, yeah, it actually started when I was 15. I was working at Doughboy's Pizzeria on Pemina. And the owner at the time, uh, he was um, a friend of mine's father. So it was a great, great first job. Yeah, I really enjoyed the atmosphere. I enjoyed making pizzas. I'm not very artistic. So (laughs) to me, to get my artistic abilities out there, I like creating pizzas. So, you know, you can never run out of toppings to put on pizzas. As far as canvases go, there's nothing better than a dough and sauce and cheese and all that, right? Exactly. (laughs) So you went from there, and this is really fascinating because when I was 19, my biggest concern was how many beers can I shotgun at one time? But (laughs) but you actually went down to Texas to try and just kind of get your whole pizza business career kickstarted, right? Yeah, I was uh, attending university, and I realized that I'm more of a hands-on learner. So I started looking at franchises. Like I knew one day I wanted to open my own restaurant, but I thought a franchise would be a great start to gain some business ex- experience, some structure. And uh, so, yeah, I moved down to Texas and when I was 19, and they, they awarded me a franchise. And a year later, I opened up a second location, and I was running those two locations from the time I was 19 to about 24. And then I moved back to Winnipeg. So at 19, how did you handle, like, I, I just can't imagine how you handled all the, the stress and the intricacies of being a business owner. It was, it was very stressful, mainly um, dealing with the employees down there. It was very hard to keep employees in a smaller town. So that was one thing that was very stressful. Otherwise, I was just all in to learn as much as I possibly could. Um, it was very good business experience being down there and running the two Papa John's. And yeah, then I decided to move back to Winnipeg to start my next chapter in my life. I have to get to this because I can't imagine there's a more cool school on the planet. But could you explain to us what it's like to get an education and and maybe even a degree from the International School of Pizza in San Francisco (laughs) run by Tony Gemignani? Yeah, Tony Gemignani is is a a 13 world time pizza champion. And he's actually my friend as well. And he's a great guy. I've learned so much from him as well as the World Pizza Champion team. There's a team. And, uh, yeah, that's where I got all my inspiration from to come up with all the new pizzas on the menu. And I actually attended his school two different times. The first time I went for Italian and Neapolitan-style pizza. And the second time I went for American-style, which is New York-style Detroit and Chicago. So what are the classes like then? I, I'm just so intrigued by a pizza school. So it's pretty intense. You're actually working in his actual restaurants. Oh. So some days you're working in a restaurant where 
one of his is closed. He has two that are really close together in San Francisco, like walking distance a few blocks. So one day you'll be working in that restaurant and you'll actually be making pizzas for the customers and everything. But you start off by learning how to make dough. There's a lot of science behind dough that I wasn't aware of before. At Papa John's, I used to just get my dough shipped to me every <laughs> every week. So, yeah, there's definitely so much science behind dough that I wasn't aware of. And we learned about different flours to use. We learned about different ingredients and the qualities of different ingredients and stuff like that. Do you need qualifications to get into Gemignani's? No, you just have to have a love for pizza and... It's really good to go to before you're opening a new restaurant. Awesome. I Well, I'm going to have to try and apply then because it sounds absolutely delightful. <laughs> now, it's interesting because you mentioned there Tony Gemignani, 13-time world champ. Did some of Tony's work inspire you to get into pizza competitions back in 2018? Yeah. Yeah, he did. So they have a team, a world pizza champion team, and I saw all the team members competing in the competitions. And I just decided to go and try it out in 2018 and see how my pizza would compare to the rest of the world. Now, how old were you when you first went? I was probably about 27. Wow. And you're competing against, I I mean, guys that probably have, they probably had as many years experience in the pizza biz as you did just (laughs) flat out being alive, right? (laughs) Yeah, they have, yeah. In 2019, you came in third in a competition in Vegas and then you made the jump to the World Championships in Parma, Italy. How nerve-wracking was that to face off against the best of the best in, in the home of pizza? Yeah, there was a lot of competitors, and it was definitely very nerve-wracking. Luckily, I had a couple under my belt before going into the competition. But the most stressful part was you have to make your dough there. You have to, you know, I would bring my flour, I'd bring my ingredients to make the dough from Winnipeg, but we went 10 days before the actual competition. We would do like pizza school in Italy and bread making classes and a lot of educational things as well. And I had to source all my ingredients while I was there for the topping. So yeah, that was very stressful, but (laughs) it's a lot more strict than the competition in Vegas as they have a judge standing right there watching you, timing you on your techniques, how you use the pizza peel and everything. That's great. So take us through, I, I guess, just the whole process of you step into the ring or I guess maybe more, you step into the kitchen. Is there a time limit? Is it just one pizza? You get one chance to make one pizza? How, how does the competition exactly work? Yeah, so you get one chance to make one pizza. I think there was a whole criteria, a whole guide of what you were graded on. I think it was like three or four pages. And yeah, the guy's standing right there watching you. I think you have I think you have 10 minutes to make it or 12 minutes or something. Really? And, and my cook time on my pizzas are anywhere from 8 to 8 to 10 minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, no very, pressure. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have to walk over and explain it to all the judges. I had to have a translator um because they they didn't speak English, so you had to talk to the translator and then the translator would talk to the judges and explain the pizza. And uh one of the secret ingredients that I put in my pizza dough is I put Trans Canada Aero IPA beer in there. So I brought that from Winnipeg to Italy to, to make in my dough. That is so awesome. And, and, and Bothwell cheese as well, right? Like you kind of, you brought a little bit of Winnipeg in Canada back there over to Italy. I did. Yeah. I brought Bothwell cheese. Yeah. Now 
For those that are unaware, your work at the World Pizza Championship earned you best pizza maker in Canada, right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So, I mean, what's that moment like? So it's pretty surreal. You get to go on stage, and there's like thousands of people in the audience. So that was pretty exciting. And then right after that, which was, which was even more exciting, is that Tony asked me to be on the World Pizza Champions team. So I already felt like kind of part of the team, but I wasn't officially on the team. And it's literally filled with the best pizza makers in the entire world and just the nicest, most sincere people. And that's uh, where I got all my inspiration. And on my on my menu, all the pizzas are named after my team members on that team. Oh, I was going to ask that. That's super cool. So every single one? Every single pizza, yeah. That is awesome. That What a great story. Now, can you explain to us what sounds like, again, the best team on the planet? What's it like being a World Pizza Champion team member? And, and what do you do now that you're on the team? So we all go to the competitions together. We all have our chef jackets with the logo on the back. And we all compete as a team in all the competitions. And we travel as a team together. It's really fun. It's You know, I used to play hockey back in the day and football and it's nice to be on a team again. <laughs> is that where you got, like, the competitive juice? But I, I don't do it for the competition as much as just the experience, getting put in those kind of situations under pressure and going on all the trips. So you get to talk to all different kinds of pizza makers from all over the world, not just the U.S. Mm-hmm. They come from everywhere. So you just you get to gain a lot of knowledge at these competitions as well. How many different cities or countries have you traveled to and competed in since you joined the, the world team? So every year, the three biggest competitions are in Atlantic City and Vegas and Italy and Parma. So I definitely do all three of those. Those are the biggest ones. But I also travel to Vegas and New York for pizza festivals as well. I have a lot of friends that have restaurants in Vegas and New York, so I like just going to help out with them and make pizzas. It's just I love making pizza. So. Do you know how someone becomes a judge at these pizza competitions? I think you have to have a lot of experience Damn in the pizza game. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> we can we could try to make some calls though. Oh well, to- <laughs> Tommy, Tommy, that's all I'm asking for is just give me a chance. I think I could do it. <laughs> so I want to get into this now. You earned the sure. title of best pizza maker in Canada, and that pizza is on your menu as the Tommy special, correct? That's correct. So yeah. How did you come up with the idea for the pizza, and why did you choose it as this is my go-to when it comes to trying to take home the title at the World Championships? I had at Timmy Tom's, which we could talk about after, which was my first location inside a Trans-Canada Brewing Company with the founder of the brewery, Matt Tallman. Um, We had a pizza on there called the Spicy Honey. It didn't have burrata or lemon zest on it, but it it was fairly similar to this one. But when I was in Italy, we were trying all these fresh cheeses. We were touring all these, you know, Parmigiano-Reggiano plants and prosciutto plants. So while I was there, I would pick up some prosciutto and some Parmesan. So I'm like, these toppings would be so great on a pizza. They're fresh right from the factory and everything. And uh, so I just came up with, you know, something citrusy on top to get the, the smells in there and everything. And it all just came together pretty well. And for those that don't know, spicy honey. So what what goes in the spicy honey base, first off, if you don't mind sharing uh, some of the secrets? Sure. So we get some local honey, and we get chili-infused, some cayenne in there, and a couple other things. (laughs) You know what? And this is kind of my pizza hot take. I love tomato sauce. 
But mm-hmm. I love when when chefs and, and pizziolas get a little more creative with the base there. And, and you kind of do a lot of that on your menu too. Yeah, we do have a lot of different bases on the menu. We have a garlic base as well. We have a new pizza that's selling really well, a chicken bacon ranch, which has ranch as the base. Yeah, we have a pesto-based pizza as well. Is the, the Tommy special, is that number one in your heart, or do you have another pizza on the menu that maybe has started to creep up as your favorite? Okay, so my favorite style of pizza to eat and to make um, is Detroit-style pizza. That's the second time I went to Tony's school, and I learned about Detroit-style. I had no idea what that was before. And it's just, it has hardened aged cheddar around the crust. It's a little doughier. There's more dough and the sauce goes on top and the pepperoni goes on top or whatever toppings you want. But just the crunch of that aged cheddar with the soft dough just goes so well together. And that's my favorite pizza to eat right now. Interesting. And you have three Detroit style pizzas on the menu right now. Is there one that maybe stands above the other three and has the gold medal when it comes to Detroit styles? I think the most popular one is just the pepperoni one, which is pepperoni on top. Look, every pizza place has their own pepperoni. How do you go about that process in choosing, you know, what kind of pepperoni you use and, and maybe the cut and like how, how intricate and how long is, is that process when it comes to maybe the most important and popular topping? So it is very difficult to source the ingredients that I want to use in Canada compared to the U.S. There's still a pepperoni that I want to use from the U.S. that I can't get here. I've had years of trying different toppings, and before we opened Timmy Tom's, I had about a year and a half to come up with the recipes and the and the pizzas and, and all that. So I spend a lot of time sourcing ingredients, doing a lot of blind taste tests, getting a lot of people in there to give their opinions and stuff like that. And I'm actually just found this year a pepperoni that I'm okay with using until I can get my hands on the other one. (laughs) What's the most important part of the pie? Is it the crust or is it the sauce? So I think it's the crust and the sauce. And for my pizza dough, before I'll serve it in my restaurant, it has to sit for two days and it has to sit out at room temperature for about three or four hours before I'll use it on the day that I'm going to be using it. What constitutes the perfect crust? So for me, it it should have a little bit of a crunch and then be like really airy and, and light inside and have some texture. It's called a crumb. So I work really hard to make sure I have a really good crumb in my crust. And I just want it to be crunchy and then light and airy inside. How long did it take you to perfect your dough recipe? I don't think it can ever be perfect. That's one of the reasons I, I love uh, being in the pizza business is that every single day you learn new things and new techniques. And I'm learning from my team members all the time on different ways to do things. So, but yeah, I did have, I did have six months to a year to get that recipe going before I opened inside of TransCanada. Now, what kind of oven do you use at your restaurant? So I have a Pizza Master oven. It's an electric oven. It can go up to 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and it comes from Sweden. Really? Yeah. So how did that come about? I I would never have guessed that the Swedes make good pizza ovens. (laughs) (laughs) So when I went to these competitions, you're in a big convention center, and they don't have a lot of gas ovens. So we were using electric ovens, and I really love the way this pizza cooked. So that's why I chose this one. Very interesting. 
So let's go through some of the titles you have here on your menu. This one, when you're throwing pears and blue cheese and pine nuts, could you maybe talk about where the idea, the inspiration came for your out-of-this-world Johnny Hansen pizza? Yeah, so that's one of our top sellers. Actually, my general manager, Frank, came up with it, and my chef, Reet, they both came up with a few pizzas on there and all the appetizers on the menu. You know, I would tell them what I was looking for, and then they'd come up with these amazing, amazing quality products. Now, you also have the Gemignani, which I think, <laughs> if anybody's <laughs> been paying attention, we know who that's named after. Yeah. <laughs> and, and using some, I believe it's pronounced uh, Duja? Nuja. I think Nuja. New, all right. Nuja. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We'll go. Hey, whatever you say yeah. is good with me. Yeah. Uh, so that, I mean, kind of more of, not a meat lovers, which you do have, by the way. Um, but do, why yeah. why did you choose that blend for, I, I guess, to pay homage to uh, Tony Gemignani? So that was one of his favorite pizzas to eat. You know, we'd hang out a lot, and I'd see him eat, eat those toppings on pizzas. And, yeah, I was just talking to him, and, you know, the toppings go very well together. There's just enough spice on there, and uh, it just complements it really well. Now you have 11 specialty pizzas as it stands right now. How many more ideas do you have kind of ruminating in the back of your head? So I probably have like 40 or 50 more pizzas. Yes. That didn't make it on the menu when I did those, <laughs> when I did those taste tests and stuff like that. So there's literally endless possibilities of toppings you can put on pizzas and you can be so creative and, there's just that's why I love it. That's why I love it. What's the wildest pizza you've ever come up with? I think the chicken bacon ranch with jalapenos on there and caramelized onions. Yeah, it's got chicken fingers on top there. So. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that definitely <laughs> is out there then. Um, yeah. I, I do have to compliment you too. I had this for the first time in Chicago. I can't remember the pizza place that I went to. But the whipped ricotta, and I assume you, you pipe it in a piping bag on top as well. Can you explain that yeah, a little that's bit? correct. So that goes on after the pizza is already made, and it's in a piping bag. And we just, spread, we just put it all over the pizza, and it gives it that like whipped kind of fresh taste. It's so good. It's, if yeah. you haven't had it, you have to come down to Tommy's and try it. It's so good. I do want to mention some of your sides here, your appetizers and, and even the yeah. pastas, and mainly an Italian sort of a feel with these. Is there one that your customers seem to gravitate to the most? I think our meatballs are amazing. Um, they spend a lot of time making those. It's a really big portion. My chef and Frank came up with it as well, and it's just so good. We sell a lot of calamari. The calamari, we spent a lot of time trying all different kinds of samples out, and that's the one we picked, and I think it's a very solid choice. All right, so yeah. we're, we're just about done here. I got a couple more questions for you before we head out. Now, I know in the summer, uh, back when things were much nicer outside, <laughs> you were selling pizza by the slice for a bit. Is, is the plan to do that again when things warm up and maybe get a little safer outside as well? Yes, 100%. It was going really well. I love making those big pizzas and having those huge slices that – you know, feels like you're in New York. So as soon as we can get that going again, we'll for sure get it going. That's awesome to hear. And I'm I'm a big fan of by the slice too. Have you even thought about potentially doing that in the winter or is that just a summer thing? I think with if it wasn't for code red right now, we'd still be doing it. Okay. Because I look, I get slurpees when it's minus twenty outside, so I'm not gonna uh, yeah. I'm not gonna <laughs> let the temp stall me for a slice of pizza. Exactly, right?
How have you guys been doing over the course of the last few months with the pandemic? Have you uh, been finding a way to trudge through here? Summer was really good. Mm-hmm. Summer was good when we were allowed to have people on the patio. It was still half capacity, but we had a lot of people coming out, and that was great. And then as soon as Code Orange hit, things started to slow down a bit. And I had to you know, relate back to my Papa John's days when it, when it was just a takeout and delivery business. I never wanted to deliver my pizzas, but we have to do what we have to do to survive right now. I worry about the quality of the pizza. It's not going to be the same as if you're getting it right away sitting in the restaurant. My whole restaurant was based on the atmosphere and the experience mm-hmm. of coming to Tommy's. So we're still going to have that as soon as we can go back to normal. But our delivery and pickup is, is going as well as it can right now. Do you have to make the pizzas any differently when it's delivery as opposed to in the restaurant? So we're cooking at a, at a little lower of a temperature. Okay. Because when pizzas cook at a high temperature, for example, Neapolitan style that cooks in a minute and a half or two minutes, that pizza is going to get cold really fast because it wasn't cooking at a long period of time. So we, we lowered the temperature of the pizza oven to about 550. We were cooking at probably 625 before Fahrenheit so that it would give the pizza the ability to stay warm longer. We have perfect crust pizza liners inside our pizza boxes. It's this amazing product that actually really makes a difference, and it keeps the crust crunchier and not as soggy. So we have that going for us. I got these awesome pizza bags as well. <laughs> and all what's the a pizza bag? Uh, so it's just a it's a pizza bag made by incredible pizza bags in the states. Where it's a great company, great owner, and they made some kind of changes to these bags that keeps it, I think, seven degrees hotter than other pizza bags. Huh. So I jumped on getting a bunch of those as well. They provided me with heating elements that go in the pizza bags as well. So I have that as well. That's very interesting. Yeah, so quality is very important to me. I'm trying to get it to the customer as hot as I possibly can. Well, if you've ever had a pizza from Tommy's, you know quality is is maybe the best word to describe everything that you guys do down there. Uh, We'll just get you out of here with a couple quick ones, okay? Maybe have some fun talking pizza as well, all right? Yeah, sure. What to you is the biggest no-no when it comes to pizza? The biggest no-no, I would have to say, is not using quality products. So not using quality cheese, you know, not using the best sauce, you know, fresh tomatoes, stuff like that. Favorite topping? Pepperoni. Least favorite topping? Anchovies. I was I was just going to say, <laughs> I was going to have you ever thought of putting anchovies on a pizza, on, on one of your pizzas? I I probably will not. <laughs> That's fair. A lot of people like it, and I do have it in the building, and people do request it. So. it. It is definitely an acquired taste. I think that's yeah. fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and one final one that we ask all our guests here on Skates and Plates. We like to try and find out what your ideal game day menu item just might be. Now, I'll say this before you go, by the way. I had my coworker Andrew Hustler-Patterson on, and for his ideal game day, he actually picked your Scotty Smokovich pizza. That's I literally have that written down in front of me that that would be the pizza. Oh, that's for your game choice that I would choose. Yeah. All right. So explain it to our <laughs> yeah. listeners: the Scotty Smokovich. Okay, so that pizza has pepperoni on it, sausage, mozzarella, tomato sauce base, and then after it gets topped with whipped ricotta, parmesan, and oregano. And it's just very hearty and meaty, and it just goes really good with watching sports. 
And is the pizza it's named after, is is the dude's last name actually Smokovich? Yeah, it is. Yeah. That is a handle yeah, and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Tommy. Well, hey, thanks so much. So much. I know how busy you are, how busy Tommy's is. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, can you just let the people know uh, how they can grab your pizzas, delivery, takeout, all that sort of a thing, and, and how they can help you guys out right now? Yeah, of course. So we're just asking everyone if they could try ordering online through our website, or we have a Tommy's Pizzeria app. The reason we're asking people to order online is so that we can try to limit contact in the restaurant. So if you order online or through the app, you can pay on there. So that when you come to the restaurant, we can just hand you your pizzas and then you can be on your way. Well, Tommy, it's a couple hours until you open up, so I'll be giving you a call. But again, thanks so much for joining us. This was an absolute blast and all the best, man. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Huge thanks to Thomas Schneider for joining us today. I mean, just a great talk. And if you haven't tried it, I mean, go out of your way, especially with New Year's Eve coming up. Get yourself some pizzas from Tommy's Pizza. It's one of the best slices in the city, no doubt. Well, that does it for us here in 2020. Good riddance. (laughs) See you later. I mean, this has been such a trying year for, I mean, for pretty much everyone. So, you know what? Maybe just something as simple as turning the page, turning the calendar, and seeing a different number up there at the top. I mean, maybe that's enough to get everybody in a uh, much more positive mindset. And, you know, for me, for my family, everyone just have a, have a great, great new year. And let's just hope, let's hope things turn around for the better. I think they are going to, and Hey, at the very least, we'll have some Winnipeg Jets hockey in 2021. So that's always exciting, but that does it here. We're back next week on Tuesday, which will be, early January, whatever the date is, it's going to be early January. Uh, we're going to talk some Paul Maurice and we're going to talk some Kevin Chevaldeoff. It'll be a really, a really, I guess, controversial episode because I know a lot of people have some pretty strong opinions on both of those, whether it is positive or negative. We'll wrap up Cole Perfetti and Billy Handel's world juniors as well, but that does it for us here. We'll see you guys in 2021. Have a super safe, a super happy new year's. Again, I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki from Skates and Place on the Hockey Podcast Network. Peace.